We'd like to give a big thanks to our partners over at White Rock Decoys. Be a nomad and get out further with more decoys with their lightweight system of windsocks, silhouettes, and fully collapsible floater decoys. Use subscription code DUCKGUNPOD at checkout to get 10% off on White Rock Decoys and products. Hey guys, I'm Jordan Fromer. I believe in hunting hard, hunting smart, and having a fun time while doing it. And shooting limits? Well, that's just the icing on the cake. I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings. From ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. On today's podcast, we have Bobby from Duck Lander Calls. And man, this podcast was awesome. Bobby has so much knowledge. Definitely one of the most knowledgeable duck hunters I've ever talked to. We go over teal call or mallard call for early teal season, single read versus double read, group calling tactics, the right way to do a feeder chuckle, and much, much more. Let's jump right into the podcast. What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles on YouTube, and I got my co-host, Greybeard Elliot from Freelance Duck Hunting on YouTube alongside me, and our guest today, Bobby Hayes. How you doing? Good. How y'all doing? It's Dude. great to have you on here. I've been talking to Jordan about trying to get you on for quite a while, so... Yep, we're excited to have you on. Really appreciate you coming on. I appreciate the airtime, so... Awesome. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, what you been up to lately, Elliot? Well, I have been making videos for my freelance hunt stats site that I've created, um, a place where you can log your hunts and, and keep track of all your hunt data. So this week I've been, I've been trying to crank out videos for that to be posting in like August and September. And I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. I've been playing around with that data so much i've mainly been studying sunny days versus cloudy days because i've got over a thousand hunts log now on that site i'm not personally but everyone over there does and so uh cloudy versus sunny i'm looking at and i'm also looking at different wind and how it affects so i'm having so much fun just playing with that data and making videos specifically about those things and i'm excited about it awesome if you don't mind, i'd love to talk about that tonight yeah absolutely that's stuff that we geek out on on our uh, hunts. Oh yeah, I mean, you you get me talking about it, and it's going to be <laughs> over because, I, yeah, I had the site created, and right now I've only had it out like eight months, and I've got over a th- people have logged over a thousand hunts, and here's my maybe this yeah. is a silly belief, but I think within five ten years, if I get like you know, let's say there's 50, 60, 70,000 hunts logged over there, I believe I'm going to have the most intensive intensive waterfowl data of anyone that's ever done it is my belief uh yeah i can see that i have kept i used to i don't do it anymore because it got monotonous but i from when the time i was 17 i would keep hunt logs of weather time condition fronts whatnot Mm -hmm. and i did it up until probably five years ago because it gets very repetitious Mm -hmm. on floods kill times and most rains uh it got to where i did it's memorized so i yeah. i quit writing it down but it's very it's a ton of knowledge if you keep track of it yeah well I, i'm right now i'm keeping it pretty simple so we're keeping track of temperatures wind mm-hmm. direction wind speed 
um, and and numbers harvested. I'm trying to think if I'm forgetting anything. And so then I've got like the last 10 years of my own personal data, like 250 hunts logged. I can go back. I can go back and look and see how I've done on sunny days versus cloudy days and like specific locations too. Like I can look at one particular lake and say, you know, how have I done there with a north wind on sunny days with 20 degrees? And it's, but it's, I mean, you can log a hunt with like a couple minutes. So if you have any interest, I'll certainly set you up an account. Yeah. Uh, it's just so easy. Do you keep track of pressures? Not yet. It's the saying is just, I'm kind of independently funding it. So right. it's a matter of like how quickly I can feed the beast. Right. So eventually I'd like to get to the point where the weather is just automatically integrated into it. Yeah, so yeah. all the pressure and the moon phases and all that stuff. But oh, right before, now it's just temperatures. And, and before we had the internet, it was so hard to go back and get weather data if you'd record and then not write it down specifically because you couldn't go back and search. I would search through, uh, I got an uncle that would keep newspaper and I'd go back and search. And then we'll pause the newspaper to try, if something was really good and I wanted to know what yeah. it was. Yeah. Yeah. There's just no real easy way to do it. So that's my whole, my whole goal is make it easy for people to log this stuff because most people don't do it just because it's intensive and difficult to do. Right. So if you can make it easy, I think a lot of people want to do it basic and easy. Yeah. Right. I'm definitely uh, jumping on the train for logging it next year. So <laughs> Jordan, Bobby's the kind of guy I'm looking for guys that are like as into that kind of numbers and, and breaking down <laughs> data. That's the kind of person that I'm looking for. <laughs> uh i like to know when we should be hunting and when we should be scouting somewhat ahead of time mm -hmm. uh like you can you can pretty much predict you're gonna have four to five fronts throughout duck season so from october 31st to january 31st there's gonna be four or five good fronts that come through there that push migration and you might have little ones but I mean, you're going to have four or five good ones that move birds from the top of the country to the bottom of the country. So uh, it's unrealistic to expect a guy to be banging them when you're dead in the middle of those fronts. Mm -hmm. That's that's yeah. So I don't know. I like to know that stuff because uh, it helps me plan what we're doing because we hunt about every day. So <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Regardless of the fronts, right? You just do well <laughs> on the fronts. Yeah. Yeah, we, we've hunted, uh, most of the places we've hunted, I've hunted them since I was a kid. So we've got a lot of time in them. Yeah. So it's, it's a fairly, it's as predictable as it can be most of the time, but mm -hmm. they're still birds, So everything changes and, you know, you'll get just the nature of it is you'll get an area that's really hot for a while. You may have a pond field or whatever, but it's going to go away. Everything changes. You know, have a public land spot that's super hot. Something may not even change on that piece of property. It may change off the piece of property or making the birds come to the property that you don't even know about. But it always changes in cycle. So that's that's where them records help you. So now when you mean changes, are you are you talking like within a year or from year to year or both? Well, you know, like say you could have you could have uh you could have the backwater on a cove and a reservoir that's really good. Say you hunted that two or three years. The next two or three years, it's not as good. Well, you would have, did the birds push at the same time? Uh, is the food source, because they're not feeding on the reservoir, you know, they're not feeding the lake. They're, they're going to loaf the lake. Maybe roost the lake, but not in a cove. They're going to roost the channel. Uh, 
So what were they eating that was off the reservoir that's not there if they're not using it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, that hole will just about every good duck hole I've ever had at some point in time will either go worse or go wet. So, uh, but generally they don't leave the area. Mm-hmm. There's just another hole that's gotten better. So if your records are saying you should be killing ducks, probably not in the right spot. If yeah. You're not. Yeah, yeah. That's good to know. That's a good point. Yeah. Generally for the most part, everything ducks are just like us. They're habit. So it's the same thing. Even if you don't get a big uh, freeze or push, something is still migrating just because it's that time of year. Not as many, but something is coming down because they're habit. So the records yeah. are handy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's super interesting. Within the last couple of years, I've had a front last year and a front the year before where everything's been stale. And we get a front, and it's not like a massive front. But, I mean, it's a good enough front that I'm like, okay, we're it's going to improve. And I go out and to a place that traditionally has been good, and it's just like nothing. And I'm like, man, there's got to be something. I just don't have enough information to know why, you know. Well, see, that's the thing. Was, was the place not good? Were the birds in the area? Uh, were they on a different place? Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, so much stuff changes from year to year. Yeah, those and, are the know, worst days. When you go out there, the weather seems right. and Public can be super tough because, one, do you not have the birds roosting in the same place because there's too much, not hunting, just too many, too much activity. If you get too much activity in those pools, you know, if you've got 25 parties that come out of a pool between dark and an hour and a half after dark compared to three parties, they can't roost. Mm-hmm. So all that stuff it's not necessarily the hunting pressure it's the amount of people and so all that stuff changes so i used to keep track too of how many people were hunting where because i didn't Mm -hmm. care about i didn't care about competing with hunters i just wanted to know how many people were in the pools yeah a lot of times the ducks would end up at the pools with just less people in general yeah so yeah so if you get a pool that gets hunted super hard in the morning but everybody leaves it alone in the afternoon uh, that pool may be better than a pool that gets half the hunters, even though it had more hunters in the morning. Birds could use it at some point in time. And they get so, real smart about when to do it, don't they? Well, they get do. very adapted to when people are around and when they're not around. Yeah, very. Because I know some of these, now we've all seen right at um, sunset ducks pouring into a public marsh. Um, I was more surprised when I, I've never experienced this myself, but I know some of these um, public places in Missouri, you can only hunt until one o'clock. And I've got mm-hmm. guys that hunt those that say, you know, 101, 102, here come the ducks, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy they're that smart, but they are. So they do are. You, either of you guys uh, hunt frequently in the evening? And then two, uh, one thing I've always thought, and maybe this is wrong, kind of considering what you guys are saying, but uh, um, I've always said like, if they just push back the the time to be a half hour after shooting, you know, after sunlight for the shooting time to end, we'd get a lot more birds. But maybe uh, the birds would actually just fly a half hour later than they do now. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. yeah, that's what they do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they don't like getting shot. Uh, no. We hunt more afternoons than I would call evenings. Okay. 
Uh, I'm not a big, uh, most time in the evening, I'm putting birds to bed for the next day. More than so I'm I, killing them. Okay, yeah. you're just scouting for the next next. Yeah, uh, usually because if you don't, it's pretty hard to know what's going on for the next day. Uh, so a lot of times we're packing up by four. Uh, if, if I'm going to stay in the field, we're going to send somebody out to run around so we know what's going on. Gotcha. So kind of on the same, the same vein as that. Um, one thing that I'm looking to improve on for myself is like literally like my hunts are about 99% morning hunts. I almost never hunt the afternoon and it's just honestly because I have very little success. So I kind of, I was kind of curious your process as to why you hunt the afternoon and, you know, just kind of go through that a little bit. It would depend on where you're at. So if, if you're looking at a, a refuge complex and say it was, it was a marsh complex, for, for lack of a for lack of a term let's just call it MDC uh, well those ducks are going to they're going to feed on that marsh in the morning they don't need to fly off of it there's piles of food on that marsh now as the morning progresses they're going to get off of the marsh because they're tired of getting shot and they're going to filter out to either w- just water where there's no people so between eight and say 11 will be that time uh, that those that you could kill ducks on farm ponds around a place like that. Um, you can certainly kill them at daylight because you've always got a flurry of ducks to go everywhere at daylight. That's, yeah. that's kind of the old saying is everybody's a killer for the first half hour. Uh, they can't see. And yeah, that's the, but so it, you gotta like, what is, what's the duck going to do? Um, they're going to loaf. So they're going to pick somewhere to spend between nine o'clock and three or four o'clock in the afternoon, in the afternoon. They're not going to loaf usually on the same thing they roost on. Uh, depending on how, depending on how their diet is, is how far they'll fly for that loaf. If it's really, really cold and they're using a lot of energy, they're not going to fly far from the roost to go to a loaf. Loaf and the feed's going to be really close to each other. But at the beginning of the year, that loaf could be a long way off. So ducks gonna loaf on water. So if we hunt private ground, like permission ground, we're knocking on the door. I'm looking for places they're loafing. I don't, I don't necessarily want their feed. Uh, if I leave the feed alone and shoot the loaf, I can shoot it a lot. Uh, as long as they're eating, they're gonna go to more water. Um, if I'm gonna hunt in the afternoon, typically for us, that's a goose hunt. So. Ducks are generally in the morning, but they're going to follow geese around in their habits because that's kind of what ducks do. So uh, a lot of our geese just won't fly out in the morning. Now, if you go to a state, say like Oklahoma, Oklahoma does not feed the geese. They do not have food in the refuge. So those birds fly out twice a day to eat. So you can kill geese in the morning in Oklahoma. You go geese in the afternoon. But like most of the time, our geese are going to come out one time. If it's super hot, they're going to do it after you can shoot them. And if it's cold, they're going to do it before. So that's typically my afternoons. And then now if you get a, if you get a really cold and you're iced up and ducks are keeping water open, they're typically going to feed afternoon as well. You're not going to get a morning, a morning shoot on an ice hole. So if we're going to hunt a cornfield, that's going to be generally between two and four 30. Sounds yeah. like you uh you got it pretty well down pat. <laughs> yeah, seriously, I should. I'm gonna be taking notes. I'm gonna watch this back with. I know <laughs> pencil and paper. 
but well, it's got, we, you know, it's we got, got it every day. You got, a, when, you got a little cheat seats you can hand out to us, maybe? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Well, when guys like, like Bobby can hunt every single day, that is such an advantage because, I mean, you're basically just living with them, right? I mean, you're seeing yeah. them every second other of daylight where guys like Jordan and myself working nine to five, we're at such a disadvantage because, you know, I've got the weekends and a few days off and I just, there's no way I can gather the kind of knowledge that 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 people like you can just because you know, you're getting to know them day in and day out. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is a lot different when you watch them every day. Now, see, like when we jump states and say, say we hunt Kansas all year and I jump states and go down to Oklahoma for three or four days, oh, I'm lost when I come back. I mean, it takes me a day, two days of scouting to get back and see what they're doing. I mean, you're going to have a general idea, but, you know, you really never know for sure. Yeah. So... Yeah. So yeah, just having a just having two or three days off of them. Yeah, when I come back, I feel like I haven't looked at them all season. So oh, yeah. that's that is a tough thing for a weekend guy. Uh, <laughs> is is you almost have to give a day up just to find them. Yeah. Well, and you know, so, I've got I've got four kids, and so it's like me. It's basically Saturday because um, right. if, I, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna work all week and then do it Saturday and Sunday, it's like my family is gonna I'm not, they're gonna be like strangers to me. So right. <laughs> it becomes more of who, who do I know that I can get to scout or looking at past records and say, what location do I know has been the most successful during these times? And man, when, when you have to hunt like that, your bird per hunt average is going to significantly drop. I'd say if, if I was a weekend guy and I was hunting all public ground, I would never set foot in a marsh at daylight. Mm-hmm. I would go out and I would take a cup of coffee and I would find what ducks are using what pool mm -hmm. before I set up anywhere. So typically, if like I said, if we're running, like if we out, if we go out to the bottoms, uh, I will never set foot in that place in the dark. I will sit at the ramp. A lot of times, we're not going to launch a boat till eight thirty because I want to know where they're actually going to use the pools that day mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. instead of guessing. I think they're going to be here today because yeah. typically there's, there's plenty of time because usually if you find a good spot and you get set up, you're going to be done a heck of a lot quicker than if yeah. you're running traffic on them. Yeah. I grew up out, not, I grew up in Salina, which okay. I'm sure you probably know where that's at. And, yeah. um, um, I didn't hunt the bottoms a ton, but, um, my dad more than me, cause we didn't get into duck hunting really until I got into college and I was more on this, the East side of the state now, but my dad and my uncle at the bottoms had a ton of success going out. Um, even, even like at 12 or one and just going mm -hmm. out, seeing what they're doing, even as you're, mm -hmm. as you're driving, you pop up a big group set up immediately and they were That's just right. extremely successful, successful doing yeah. it that way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's how I choose to hunt public when we're on public is I'd rather, I'd rather find them than guess where they're going to be in the dark. Now, yeah. uh, I grew up in boats, so like it doesn't bother me if, if I'm hunting a, a reservoir, which we hunt frequently, you know, I may put the boat in at one, two in the morning and scout that, that lake in the dark. So just you what you're kicking it. off the water or what? Yep. Yeah. So, cause typically on a reservoir, wherever they're gonna, wherever they're sitting, they're going to come back to about nine ish. Cause they're going to fly off the lake cause there's no food. I did not know that. I did not know that. So when you kick them off a lake at night in the dark, they'll typically, what, what will they do right then? Do you think? Oh, geez. Uh, you know, ducks will go 
go somewhere else. Uh, but they'll come you know, back. Geese little, yeah, they'll come back. Geese are a little finicky. Uh, most times, you scare geese off. Depends on how how long they have in between. But like, I I would never scare geese off two or three hours before I wanted to shoot. Because that's that's a pretty low chance on that. Eight hours, fine, but two three hours is not good on geese. Kind the of ducks a, will come back more quick, more quickly. Kind oh, of yeah. a similar thing with with the ducks. Uh, have you guys ever had where they land in your set like 10, 15 minutes before shooting light? Ideally, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and do you uh, kick them off then, or do you let them sit and just wait for more ducks to oh, come gosh, in? I usually talk to them. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So we've had we've yeah. we've tried both ways, and um, I mean we've had similar success with both. I think I mean honestly, if you're in that much of the X, you're probably going to limit out either way. But um, I mean we've had though where we had like 200 ducks sitting right on top of us. Um, before shooting light, and and we've also tried where we kicked them off, and still the, a ton came back. So I didn't know which would be the preferred method on that. Uh, if it were me, and I had a lot of ducks coming into me at sunlight or before I could shoot them, I would keep everybody still and quiet, and try not to let them ducks know that you were there. Uh, so that way, when they jump you, you're not uh, you're not alarming them in any way. But see now, I'm. I'm more of a, let's say this the right way, I'm more of a killer than I am a purist on the duck hunt. So I, I like I like to shoot my birds. Uh, yeah. We put a lot of work into it. Um, so like if, if I've got if I've got three green heads and a hen in the morning, I know we're going to shoot that hole again, the hen will die. Because what you'll get is, you know, if you continually shoot at that hen, at them greenheads with that hand in her, eventually she's going to start to tell them other ducks don't go there. So, so that's that's one thing you got to be, especially in the dark. You start messing with them ducks and they're trying to get in those holes and they can't get in there because you're scaring them. Then you can have a little bit of an issue. But yeah, if it's if it's a pond or a something we hunt frequently, uh, a lot of times my rule is depending on how fast it is. Now there's just a lot of ducks we'll shoot all green. But if we're shooting pairs and fours and whatnot, then we'll probably shoot the first however many we can in and then be out of the way. Awesome. I don't want to educate those girls. Because that's... So so then the, the females are the ones that really alert to all of the ducks verbally. Yeah, that's the ones you're talking to most of the time. Yeah. So I used to manage a lot of clubs on the Missouri side. And... Uh, you know, when you hunt the same hole every day, especially when you're in between fronts, you have the same bunches of ducks coming in those holes every morning. You know, those guys don't like to shoot the brown ones, but, you, you know, you just got to, you can't keep shooting at the duck and not killing it. Eventually, they're not going to come in the hole. Hmm. Yeah. So sometimes you specifically take the hen just for future hunts. Yep, that's, yep. And I have yeah. never heard. I have never that's heard that. It's really <laughs> I am also not at all, I am not a believer in what we kill determines how many ducks we get the next year. Because we don't kill that many ducks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mean I as far as shooting hens being detrimental to the population? Not at all. You yeah. can't shoot yeah. enough of these things to matter. If, <laughs> if guys would go through, you know, hunter numbers, uh, I want to say the average guy in Missouri, I think he kills five ducks a year. I mean, it's so low. Yeah. Yeah. 
that so you think that the the laws for like two hens and and uh you know you can have as many drakes but only two can be hens um you think that's kind of nonsense well thought out laws them boys are not gonna let you hurt their ducks okay i promise yeah. But my under, my understanding is all of the co- the common belief among the biologists is just what you're saying that shooting hens doesn't matter. So then why does the regulations not reflect that? I wonder. Well, I think what they're doing this is this is kind of how the catch and release got. You know, eventually on catch and release on fish, they start saying we really need you to keep some of these because uh, we 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 factor some of that into our our biology. A certain amount get kept, but they ingrained so hard on catch and release on bass. And I think in the 80s, when everything got so bad, you know, it just got so ingrained on don't shoot the brown ones because it, mm-hmm. I mean, they were low. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we went down to two, two mallards a day there for a while, I think around absolutely. 92. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, it, was, it was bad. So, yeah, it was two, two ducks. That'd be awful. So, I think <laughs> yeah. it's just an ingrained thing. But, no, I mean, what determines our ducks is how good they nest. Mm-hmm. If they nest big, you got a lot of ducks. If they nest poorly, you don't have any. But, awesome. Uh, there's no market hunting, so you just we're not going to shoot enough of them to matter. Yeah, yeah. we won't even yeah. beat them out of population. So yeah, 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 it just won't happen. So I, I never get mad when somebody shoots. Now, uh, some of my some of my guys that hunt with me, they hate it. <laughs> They'll shoot green all day, but that's more of a, say, an antler type of yeah. thing than it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, which, yeah, and they definitely look cooler, <laughs> but that do. should that shouldn't <laughs> yeah. be taken into consideration. Yeah, so, it's just like if you can shoot a Drake Pintel as a good example, opposed to Hen, like that Drake just looks so cool. Well, see now, now I'm like I'm odd on that. I won't shoot Hen pennies, but. And I think that's just because I went through such a long, we had such a long time where you didn't see a lot of pintail. Yeah. So yeah, we still I don't see them in Indiana. Pins, right. And yeah. I don't think they're that good looking. So I don't know if it's a hen penny, I let it go. I don't uh, know about you, but I saw more pintails last year than I've seen piles. the last five years. Yeah. Piles. Last year and the year before we had piles, uh, lots of pintail and we have more specs than we've ever had. So, uh, which I like because I love shooting specs. Yeah, I have not. I've only shot one spec my whole life, and that was out at the bottom. So we just don't do the field hunting. And I, I don't, I don't. Where is their main migration? Without being too specific, pattern. Well, I don't see a bunch here right on the border. Uh, it used to fall over the bottoms, and then it used to run down that Mississippi River on the east side of Missouri. But they've mm-hmm. started to filter down. The, the east and west side of the where the central and Mississippi meet. Okay. So maybe if I was yeah. out field hunting geese more, I'd see them. I, I I'm just not seeing them. Uh, I'd say typically the Missouri side's getting a lot more on the west side of the state. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you have that's the most refuges anymore is on the west side of the state because you've got you got the four big refuges plus the lake over there, and you're directly. I mean, you're pretty much directly south of habitat on those on that that migration line. Mm-hmm. Uh, on Kansas, we hunt we hunt Kansas a lot. Say the the east central section of Kansas, uh, and we get a lot more specks over there than we used to. We get a lot more lessers over there now too. Mm-hmm. We used to not get a ton of little two three pound geese, and 
we're shooting a mix for probably 50 50 on lessers and eight to 10 pounders than we we have been typically the little lessers would kind of cut off at wichita now why do you why do you do you have any theory as to why the things are changing in that direction no not on the lessers Hmm. not at all (laughs) uh i don't know i haven't looked up to see if there's more of them uh or if yeah so no i really haven't looked it up i just i know what i know when we go typically uh if we're gonna shoot say shoot a six man of uh of honkers you're gonna have 40 percent of them they're gonna be small geese okay so, that's a lot and that's that's not setting up for them that's just what's coming in with the because my group everybody's gonna shoot the two pound geese when they come in everybody shoots we call them chickens everybody's gonna shoot the chicken so if six now, chickens come in in a pack of 20 all six chickens are gonna die now what so, why is that why, why are those the target two pound geese okay yeah nice (laughs) so yeah so the chickens are all gonna die but uh now there's not quite enough of them to hunt them specifically where we're at is there a different animal that hunt those eight to ten pound geese they're completely different there's there's not quite enough of them to hunt just lessers where we're at yeah Hmm. yeah because you know you can have a field say say you got a field of ten thousand lessers in it that's probably two to three groups at the most it may be one bunch of lessers so that that's probably what you're going to get is they're going to come in once and twice and that's the whole even though there's ten thousand of them so it takes a lot of lessers to to hunt them speaking of alternative uh species maybe right now is a good time to jump to the this or that yeah, let's do that for sure. All right. So uh, th- this is pretty easy to catch on, so we'll just jump right into it. So uh, this or that. First slide is till call or mallard call. And we had a, a big uh, discussion about this on the on our uh, Facebook group this week, and so kind of why we're bringing it up to a, a call We're expert. talking early teal season. Early yep, teal early teal season. And uh, Elliot found his hill that he, hill that he was willing to die on and fight for the the teal call and and uh, well, that, that's not quite a fair. <laughs> I know I'm, I'm I'm poking at it a little bit <laughs> just but uh, and you know some people are diehard for the the mallard call, some people are diehard for the teal call. So uh, um, which one would you go with, Bobby? I would go with the mallard call because I can do both on it. Okay. Yeah. Now, do you can you make the ma- the mallard hen call sound so you can make it sound exactly the same as you can a teal call, right? Yeah, I can do pretty close. I don't know if the mic. Yeah. Yeah, do it. Let's do it. That's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. And That's what true. I had said was that um, in the '90s we were using mallard decoys and a mallard hen call to hunt teal. And I, we were just blowing a mallard call, just like a mallard call. Yeah. And, and we were mostly shooting pass shots on teal. Right. And then when we started using teal decoys and a teal call, well, now the, the birds are actually responding to the call and actually flipping like you're pulling them on a rope, like you'll see bigger ducks. So my thing is, if you can, if you can blow a mallard call and make it sound like a teal, but yes. a, a teal call versus a, a traditional mallard. I make a teal call, and we sell quite a bit of teal calls, and they they help you 
make that sound easier than a than a regular call does. It's a little more constrictive, a little higher pitched. Yeah. Yeah. Because not everybody can do that on a regular one. Mm-hmm. I would I would add in there too that in the '90s, later in the '90s, when teal hunting started getting really good, is when the spinner came out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That does yeah, one me. comment I made when we're having that discussion is that spinners are gold for teal, and I've had you know your spinners right in the decoys, and they they just land right on top of it. <laughs> I would agree with you 100. percent That's probably, in my opinion, the most valuable thing for killing a teal is that spinner. I'm I'm not I'm a spinner guy, so. Yeah. How I, many uh how many spinners do you run in your till set? We run between three and thirty. <laughs> wow. What really? Yeah. Yeah, we Wait. Can run, we can run a couple dozen in a field. For teal as well? Oh sorry, no for teal oh gosh, no teal like a couple. Okay. Yeah, okay. Sorry. I was like thirty. <laughs> spinners. <laughs> that's like that's more than the decoys I use for teal. Yeah. And okay. what what is your thought about teal decoys versus strictly like I know a lot of people just go with men hen mallards only. I don't think it makes a bit of difference. Yeah. See, the, my kind of thought on that is uh, I know Elliot, your kind of your your kind of thought was the the teal decoys. You're in favor of those. Um, but I, I guess like people use like the Magnum decoys, right? Just to get better visual. So I kind of see like a hen mallard decoy as being kind of like a Magnum till decoy <laughs> in a way with maybe not the same coloring in the yeah, wings. Well, I think it's kind of like Bobby was saying before we got on the air that it makes you feel better. I feel better matching the species of what now I don't, what I don't like is teal decoys that have all of the late season plumage on them and the mm-hmm. lights on their face. I don't know why they make those because I, I, it seems like most people that hunt blue wing teal are hunting them when they're not plumed out that, that I don't like that, but I think like Bobby said before, it's like, I feel better. Yeah. With those teal decoys out there. We were talking about calls and the design. And I mentioned, I, I like a call to look a certain way and have an aesthetic and a feel to it because I think for the most part, if, if a guy likes the way something looks and feels he's got more confidence. If if something looks like crap, they don't make you particularly want to use it. Yeah, yeah. And I can see you know like what? the the decoys being kind of area specific too. Like if you're during till season, there's not a lot of mallards in your area. You might be better off with the till decoys. But for me, where I hunt, there's a ton of mallards even during till season, or maybe not a ton, but you know, there's probably more mallards than t- till in the area. So they're used to landing with bigger ducks that are brown. Yeah. I, I don't know. Tell me what your perception of this is, Bobby. But for me, it's like first weekend of teal season, it's about 85% blue wing. Second weekend of teal season, it seems like it's about 70% blue wing. Third, third weekend, sometimes you're dropping into 50-50 between blue wing and green wing. But I mean, big ducks are rare for as far as what we see during mm. teal season. Uh, you know, what's, what's really funny, and this is something that's been, it just amazes me. So if you were in central Missouri, it is exactly like what you just said. If you cross the river and you get into northern Missouri, them boys will get a push of ducks way earlier than we do. They can hmm. actually have ducks, big ducks down there in September, depending wow. on the year. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, certainly, because uh, like, you know, you open up in central Missouri, it's rare that we get an actual push of mallards. Uh, cause so I you think- guys, 
I want to say when I was in high school, we used to open up October 25th. The sound, I, I, it was around then. And we hardly ever had uh, big ducks around on the open. Hmm. Uh, so it varies so much. Now, like if you go, you go out to McPherson, those guys pick ducks up way sooner than we do. Yeah. Yeah. In that, because they have that, I think it's their power glass. Yeah. That little section. Mm-hmm. And man, they'll pick those up early. Yeah. But, uh, but no, it's exactly like what you said. You'll you'll go blue wing, blue wing, green wing. But I mean, we shoot more teal during December than we do during teal season most of the time. Green wings, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. I love December green wings. I love them. Oh yeah. Nice All right, let's move. Let's go to the next one. Let's go to the next one. Yeah, and for the listener audience, thirty uh, percent for teal call and seventy percent for mallard call. Slide two. Um, best type of call to make for for uh, calling in ducks. I guess that's a weird way of saying it, but uh, would you prefer if you only could make like one type of call, the quack, quack or the chuckle? Quack. Okay, 100%. quack. Elliot. Um, you think I'm gonna disagree with a professional? <laughs> <laughs> Let me answer first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, certainly it would be a, a, a like a. I think for me it would probably be like a sequence of five quacks. Probably if I could only do one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the chuckle as well. I feel like you can't call without it, but you're probably right. You have to quack. You can't just chuckle. <laughs> All right, let's just jump to the next slide, or we'll give people a little bit time to vote on that. Yeah, give them a little bit. Yeah, but everybody's going one. with quack on that one. I say uh, the majority of if I want to make a sound and I want to kill them, and I and I I just want to keep them focused on me. Uh, so I don't want to particularly not make a sound. Uh, instead of feeding, I, I'll just do little quacks till we shoot them. Just anything to make them stay focused. Uh, but because a lot of times, if you're not in water where they're feeding, if it's a loaf, a lot of times what you that feed is a spacing call. So when they're feeding, they're not being nice. Feeding is not a come touch me. Feeding is a get away from me. So mm-hmm. that hen is telling the next bird to keep their distance so this is my food. So it's an aggressive sound. So when ducks are loafing and they're just piddling around in a pond, generally they'll cluck, but a lot of but the feed they're not feeding. So they're not being aggressive. But you'll hear them <coughs> just make a little sound. That's just a duck telling another duck they're there. So sometimes that feed can actually be a little alarming. Can you uh, can you run your feed your feed call? Yes. Man, that sounds almost exactly like me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, tell me real quick the difference between, or show me, between a feed call and then the call you hear as they're flying over the top of you. That is a chuckle. So that would be more. That is also, that's your, I don't know this. I think what they're doing, because almost any time you hear a duck swing your decoys and make that sound, they're not coming in. So I think they're trying to get the other ducks up when they do that. Huh. So I think what they're doing is they're spacing in the air. Because usually that duck, they will either soar with straight wings or they'll be flapping, but they're in good formation. 
and they stay a consistent apart. Mm -hmm. So I think mm -hmm. they're spacing in the air when they do that. So do you ever make I, that call then yourself? Not a bit. Never. Never. Okay. Which is no. basically what most people do for their feed call. It is. So we, I, I teach duck calling a lot. And so when I try to take a guy from doing this to putting pressure on it, because it's the same note. So if you just start applying pressure and then you, you just stop the note to make a duck. Then you can do two ducks, three ducks. So we just want pressure. Pressure puts the rasp and makes it sound more like a feed mm -hmm. uh, away true. from just a yeah. sound. That's super yeah. interesting. Super All right, interesting. next slide. Uh, single read or double read? And uh, uh, I'll let Elliot... Oh, never, oh, never sorry. mind. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> you know, let me go first because I'm going to be... You know, Elliot's a... Actually, it's okay because I watched um, recently of yours. I was brushing my layout boat and I listened to a whole hour live stream you did on all this stuff. So I already know your answers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and because I listen to that, I, I, I normally use a double uh, read. But after listening to your live stream and your explanation, I'm going to move to a single read. And can you kind of give us um, an explanation as to why singles? Why you think why singles? Yeah. Okay. So when you have one read, that read has a has a travel to it. So the amounts, the maximum amount that read travels would be your your top duck, and then the minimum it travels will be your bottom end. So when I stack a read or anybody stacks another read on top of the bottom one, it's going to limit what it can do. Uh, so it does limit. Uh, what this read can do so it limits the amount of ducks in the call and it keeps it in the middle basically is what it does hmm. uh, you will hear that a double read is easier to run than a single read well what it that's kind of true what they're actually telling you is a double read is harder to blow over so it's 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 harder to mess up as bad on a double read because this read stops this read from messing up too much uh, okay. Now, with all that being said, I never dog a guy that wants to run a double read. Uh, if a guy says, I really want to learn how to call, I want to put a lot of time in, I want to practice, well, single read's great. If a guy says, hey, I want to pick this thing up when duck season opens and I'm going to put it back down when it closes, double read's fantastic. So, but if you want to get the most out of a duck call, a single read is the way to do it. So if you have, let's say you're, you've got your kid, like I want my son to learn and he's you know, 15 or whatever. Um, is it better to start them with a double or All a single? All kids should start on a single read, in my opinion. Okay. Because they have no preconceived notions of how to do it, what it sounds like or anything. And they will never know the difference. They will just, they get exponentially quicker, fast with a little bit of instruction. Okay. I mean, you can take an eight-year-old and have them making really good quacks in 20 minutes. Okay. Good, yeah. good, good info. And they just naturally will make pressure at that age because they don't have a lot of air. So they have to get inside of themselves pretty good to, to get it to run if it's, if it's tuned about right for them. So kids are easy to learn to call. Super. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is probably embarrassing, but I don't know if I've ever uh, called on a single read. I think everything I've ever used is double. So well, uh, I might have uh, to try my, that as well. As, hopefully I can say this. My smart ass... Uh, remark on that is if you make a bad note on a double read, it's the same bad note on a single read. Hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's probably the the easiest way to look at it. 
So. All right, next slide. Guys, make sure you uh, put your vote in on this. Um, and Elliot, go ahead and answer this one first. But uh, do you okay, prefer a group call or having a solo caller for the group? Um, in my group, I'm really the only one that calls, and I'm mediocre at best. Um, but in my group, I think if, if you know if you have competent people, I would assume that the more people doing it, the better. If if everyone's competent, <laughs> what or about maybe when you even get if that? Not, you can drown out the guy that's really bad. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> and I bet I bet with uh, Bobby, everybody in your group's like an expert caller. Uh, we have quite a few guys that can call really well. Um, <laughs> uh, generally, what we will do is uh, I hunt on the end, and my dog guy hunts on the other, and he's a good caller. So we'd be the two lead, and if it's on his side, I don't mess with the birds. If it's on my side, he's not going to call. So we're not going to call over each other. Uh, now, we hunt with each other a lot, so I know where the birds are at without having to stick my shiny face up through the blind by what sounds he's making, and same thing with me. Most of the guys know that when I start making a certain sound, they're probably going to be finishing. Hmm. Uh, now, we'll have a guy on a whistle about 90% of the time uh, because you cannot over-whistle ducks. Uh, the only thing you have to do is not be seen running the whistle, but I mean, you just can't over whistle a duck. Um, if we're in a field, we're hunting dry feed. Uh, we may have two guys that do nothing but run a feed in between us on the main calls, just feed the whole time. Uh, but for the most part, uh, you'll have two and then, yeah, just kind of depending on the day, if the birds are on his side, but see, generally, like I said, like Shannon's working the dog. So he's he's very dedicated to the dog. So you know when that last his dog's great, they don't break. He's very he's a good dog guy. But you know when you're when you're doing the dog, you're you're always paying the attention to the dog for that last forty yards because uh, they have their 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 moments. Yeah. So generally, yeah. If uh, if we're calling them all the way to the water, that'll probably be what I'm going to end up doing uh, most of the time. But at the same time, if, if he's making a sound that they like a lot, I'm making a sound they like a lot. And I want to hear it all the way down to the water. We both may do it. So awesome. you're in how big is your, is your hunting group typically three or four, five, maybe depending on some guy. Cause you'll have two guys that are off work the same day, but typically yeah. three or four. A lot of days we hunt two. Yeah. Two. I love yeah. two and three. Uh, that's I, yeah. you get above four to me, you five, six. It's like, uh, I'll stay home. Uh, yeah, if, if it's not a, uh, a disciplined group of guys, it can be kind of annoying. Yeah. 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 All right. We got one more, right? Yep. And for the listeners, the, the, um, percentage on this one, group call 86% and solo call 14. Last slide. Best sounding calls. Would you go with a wood call or an acrylic call? Who's up first? Elliot. Oh, I, I like, I like the acrylics myself. Okay. I like I, I like the wood calls, but I think the acrylics definitely sound um you can sound better like on big water. You can make them, you know, travel further and and whatnot. Um how about you, Bobby? Uh acrylic all the way. It's uh it's by far still the best, in my opinion, duck call material. Uh I have a little different reason for that than you guys do as users. Uh we hold really I hold really, really tight tolerance when I build these, but when you mill a, a wood call off, it takes on it. Every call is going to be different than the other one, no matter mm. how tight you do everything because they have their own 
yeah. once you expose that wood to air, it's going to do a certain little thing, and they're all a little different. So, so it makes a different sound. Uh, it can't be exact replica. Right. So in my acrylics, I mean, they're very, very exact. Uh, so that's one of my favorite things about acrylic is is I can control the what is going on very precisely, where the wood not as much. But I still, and this is generally when people ask me which is better, wood or acrylic, I tell them I personally hunt with a black shotgun because uh, it gets wet and I leave it in the truck or the boat and I don't really worry about it much. The same thing with an acrylic duck call. I, I hunt with it, it goes in the bag and it goes out the next day. Or, you know, if you got a wood call, you got a certain amount of maintenance you have to do to it. So I'm not a big maintenance guy on that. What's the of. maintenance you got to do on a wood call? I'm going to have to take notes on this because I haven't been doing uh, my maintenance. <laughs> for one, it's going to get stuck together when it gets humid. Okay. Uh, or you run it a lot. Uh, yeah. So a good idea is when you get back in the truck is to pull that call apart, hang it on your mirror. Not in front of the vents, just hanging on your mirror so it can dry out. Um, the wood itself is going to lose oil over time. Uh, so you can take you can take teak oil. That's a real easy oil to find. You get it at Walmart. You can get it at Ace Hardware, Home Depot, whatever you got around you. Uh, and I doesn't matter what clear coat starts on the call. You, there's no clear coat that's going to stay on that call if you hunt it a lot. Uh, and that's, that's what I tell people. I say, well, you got a truck. If you drug your truck door down the uh, same place as you hunt, would it have much clear coat left on it? <laughs> well, probably not. Like So, yeah. Uh, so it's a good idea. You just wipe the whole call down with teak oil in the tone channel on the board, any place you can get it, and just wipe it off. And that'll put some of the natural oil back in the wood, keep it from shrinking, swelling. Um, but that's that's the biggest thing people end up doing is they leave them together and then they get stuck because they swell. Uh, and then generally what they'll do is they'll put a piece of a plier on them and just rip the crap out of them trying to get them apart. Uh, or they put them in their heat, on their heat vent and then they pop them. Because, hmm. yeah. So, like I said, they, they require a titch more maintenance. The, our time is going so fast. I want to make sure that I, I that I hear um I'm curious as to your background and when you started Ducklander Calls, how you got into it, at what point were you able to go full time with it? Just, I'm really curious about your background story a little bit, and I really don't want to get out of here without talking to you about uh, Ducklander TV either. Oh, no problem. Uh, I started the call company in 2004. Uh, it started as uh, mostly just something to see if I could do it. Uh, I don't sit well. I've been self-employed since I was about 20. I used to own a stucco company. Um, I've owned a stucco company. I'm I'm trim carpenter, done tile, remodel, uh, all kinds of different stuff. But uh, my my whole family does construction. Uh, so I, we build all kinds of things. Um, so the call just started because I just wanted to do it. But I was fortunate in uh, Kansas City, Missouri, there was a guy named Mike Keller, Big Guy's Best. And I used to go to Mike's house when I was 18 or 19, uh, before he got too sick. And uh, I used to, used to love all of the duck calls he had because uh, he was building those Big Guy's Best calls. Uh, and it, to back up a bit, Mike was the first acrylic duck call that I'd ever seen. Uh, so love the calls. He was the first guy that I was around that could really run a call. 
uh, and not just like my uncles all hunted, but they couldn't run a duck call that well. But Mike, you know, runs not have a duck call. So that was the first time I was around a guy that could call. So I used to go over there all the time for, for help with the call. And, uh, but oh my gosh, when I was that age, I couldn't afford one of those for anything. I think they were 130 bucks. I mean, there was no way. Uh, he used to give me crap every time I would come over because I had a old fox call on the lanyard. Uh, but yeah, so, uh, but I just loved all the duck calls. So in probably 2002 or three, I just, I built one just to see if I could. And then uh, we started selling them a little bit. And in 2008, the economy crashed and there was no stucco to do. So I said, you know, if, uh, if I'm going to do another full-time business, I'm going to do something I like this time. Because stucco is not a lot of fun. Uh, so I stuccoed for about another four years and then we went full-time with this. So what age were you at that, at that time? Oh man, uh, I'm 41. So we probably went full-time in 2012. So I was in my late thirties. So I had one guy that I, I stuccoed for for two or three years, just one builder. Uh, there were short houses. I do one a week or one a month for him. So it'd take me one week out of the month and I do 10 or 12 a year just to supplement while I was getting this going. Uh, so I, yeah, I think we started full time with this in like 2012 or so. And then, and it's much more enjoyable than doing stucco. So <laughs> now, is that when you really were able to hunt every day once you were able to go no. full time? No, I started the stucco company so I could hunt every day when I was 20. Okay. All right. So you've been going at that for a long time. You're like, yeah. what can I do to allow me to hunt every day, right? Well, I worked for a guy that was super nice. And uh, well, let me back up. When I was 18, I took my first job and I buried phone cable. It was the worst damn job I've ever had in my life. I used a shovel for about 12 hours a day or a jackhammer. And the worst part about it was I couldn't get time off in the winter. That was torture. Uh, mm -hmm. And that year we happened to work in Eudora right on the river. So <laughs> I watched it all day long. And so uh -huh. I said, I'm never doing that again. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, that's just not going to happen. So then I had the bright idea that I would try college out. So that lasted about a month. The school. <laughs> yeah. So then I took a job stuck on for a guy. And, uh, like I said, my, my whole family does construction. So, uh, Within about a year, I was a superintendent for him. And part of our deal was is I, I, I took off in the winter. So I didn't mind working 60 or 80 hours a week in the summer, but November and December, I needed left alone. Now, at the time, we just hunted Missouri because that's where I grew up hunting. So November and December was my deal with him. And uh, then it kind of changed into like a 98 or so. I think that's about when they opened the spring conservation season on snow geese around mm -hmm. in there. So we started hunting those. So then that kind of morphed into three months worth of off time. And uh, so then I said, yeah, I probably should start my own thing. Because <laughs> uh, I need four months off. <laughs> yeah. So because then I started traveling over into Kansas and you could get another 30 days out of your season over there because it went till January. Yeah. So then I wanted about four months off. So then uh, so then I started my own stucco company. So and then. When I did that, I wouldn't hunt every day, but I'd hunt darn near every day. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the days we'd hunt till noon and then I'd be back in to get supplies or whoever, whoever I had going. But, but yeah, so no, I've hunted about every day for, since I was about 20. 
<laughs> you are a blessed now, man. <laughs> now we, I've slowed a bit since I've had kids. Like I don't hunt Christmas, I don't hunt Thanksgiving. <laughs> so That's I give them that. Slow down a bit. I like yeah. to see my kids open their presents now. <laughs> yeah. uh, I have I have one kid that was born in December, so you know she gets dad home on her birthday. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, but for the most part, you know it's about every day. Now I say that, but uh, we are not a duck call company that shuts down in the winter, so. Um, I do not hunt every day in November because it's it's not worth it. Uh, I used to when I was a kid. I would every day. I didn't care how many ducks were around. I was going hunting. Uh, now I I hunt probably three to four days the first three weeks of duck season because we I don't have enough ducks to kill them consistently every day. I get better hunts if I don't hunt them every day. Mm-hmm. If I let them use what we have. Uh, so, and then I'm filling orders that time of year. But then uh, the mail cuts off generally around December fifteenth for uh, Christmas orders. So then I'm I'm constant every day after that. Okay. Yeah. Um, now my my first exposure to you was on YouTube with uh, Ducklander TV. At that time, mm-hmm. I think your season one would have been what 2014, 2015? Um, Is that the right? Yeah, range? I'd have to look. It's been I've made I made three DVDs before that. Okay. I, I never saw those, but I saw Ducklander TV and that was a time Nobody that, <laughs> I mean, there, there wasn't hardly any decent duck hunting videos on YouTube at all. How that went is, is we made, I made three DVDs and you just can't sell those things for nothing. Uh-huh. Uh, it was a dying archive when I mm-hmm. made them and it's super dead now. Uh, so I just said, well, there's just no point in giving them $1,500 to make the DVDs. Let's just put it up on YouTube because why not? Because all mm-hmm. I really want is people to watch it. I didn't really yeah. care about selling it other than just trying to pay for it. Uh, so I think, and I never claim anything because you never really know, but I think we might have been either the first or one of the first waterfowl shows to go on to YouTube, mm-hmm. like as a show format, not just a here's a hunt, but an actual yeah. Mm-hmm. structured deal uh yeah. because yeah, you're right there was nothing uh that you that was really that was the grind was the grind going back then at that no, time not only. no okay. they must have come right after that because you definitely there was nothing on when you guys were no doing. no uh i tell you somebody who would have been shortly after us would have been uh ryan over at foul reality yeah uh-huh yeah they put a heck of a good show on youtube they have a yes, big following yes they yeah do. i'm trying to get yeah. him to come on the podcast. Are you a friend of his by chance? Very good friend. Yep. Oh man, you yeah. put in a word for us because I'm trying to get him to come on. I just emailed him today. I'm trying oh, to get yeah. him to come on the podcast. I'll talk to him. He's he's not a uh, super public guy. He's a little mm-hmm. bit more behind the scene guy, but I'll talk to him for you. Seems he's like a great guy though. He translates well to his videos because he seems personable. He's not arrogant. Not at all. Um, just seems great. Just and it, man, yeah. can that guy make a video? But back back to Ducklander yeah. TV. Tell me more about that. Uh, so we shot, I think I did three seasons of DLC TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, I might have I had another one up there. I have to look at YouTube. We've made so much video over the years. Why did uh, you decide to shut it down? I Too many calls. Okay. Yeah. Just, just uh, too much work. Too much work? Yeah. No, literally, uh, it's just me and my wife that do this. So. Okay. 
yeah, uh, I, I have to balance making them with how much other, because I look at that as a, an advertisement or a promotion. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, how much of that can I get done and still get orders filled? So, well, when I when I found Ducklander TV because it was kind of a the TV style format, but yet you were still kind of vlogging a little bit with it, and you were public land hunting a lot in my yeah. general area. And when I found yeah. especially season two, I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I've watched all those like four times because you're out at the bottoms, you're at, yeah. I, and I, I couldn't identify the places, but I knew they were in the area, you know. Yeah. And you're just out grinding, doing what I like to do, and. Man, those were yeah, those were ahead of of the game. I was down uh, Yeah, no, they were great. I mean, I it's amazing. Even when I go, we don't really do shows anymore because waterfowl shows have just died. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even when you go, I go up to like Minnesota or quite a ways from the house. How many people watch those videos? Yeah, yeah. I mean, those of you that are listening, this DLC three hundred is their YouTube channel. You can still go and see um, those those episodes especially you know i loved was the intro on season two you use that because i was listening to johnny cash a bunch at that time in my life and that (laughs) song you use i'm like oh i was all in on johnny cash i'm like okay (laughs) this is some good stuff Uh, we're we're actually going to film this year we haven't filmed in two or three years so we're actually going to film this year uh we're going to do more of an instructional So I'm going to do more of, uh, this is how we're set up. This is how we're hit. This is how we're going to call the day, mm-hmm. uh, per hunt. Uh, yeah. I'd love to see that, uh, that group call stuff you're talking about earlier. Cause yep. you know, it's, just it's talking about it and specific. visualizing it would be totally it's different. Very specific into that stuff. So that's, that's the biggest request I get is more, more health videos. I guess you'd call mm-hmm. them. Well, your call so, tip videos, uh, I was looking at your numbers. Some of those do really, really well. Oh, it's amazing how many people watch those. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like I said, I can go to Minnesota and be like, you're the guy on YouTube with the calling help. Let me get it to me. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I can't put my finger on what's so good about them. Um, I, I think you cut through all the BS and get right to the point, maybe. Where other ones, it's like, every video I got to watch a basic quack. Come on. You know, I mean, it's hard to find stuff that's not just... Here's how you put your lips on a call, you know? Yeah. Uh, provide that. I don't know. Uh, I try to show it in a way that's more mechanical than it is feel. Uh, because everybody will tell you to say a word. Well, it's really hard to say a word into a duck call. Mm-hmm. After you figure out how to blow a call, then it's a little bit easier to say a word into the call. But to start with, it's really hard. So. Like when I would learn a new note or something, it's easier for me just to know what my tongue should do. That makes it click better for me. So, I mean, that's that's what I do with most of it. Uh, and then most people just, there's two things. You need pressure and then you need tongue placement. The pressure is what 99% of the people I have a hard time learning. You're the only person I've ever heard talk about um, tongue placement on the top of the the roof of the mouth. I've never heard anyone, any else, anyone else, talk about. It. I'm sure other people do. I personally have never heard. You're the only person I've heard instruct on that. As far as what your tongue does when you make a quack. As far as how you control the pressure by the tongue um, and the placement on the roof of your mouth. Well, the tip goes behind your teeth, but the middle to the back goes yeah. against the roof of your mouth. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I'd yeah. never heard about that, um, the tip of your tongue burying it kind of to the bottom of your I hadn't heard that either. There's a lot of little things that you talk about that other people, um, I just don't hear other people saying that have been helpful. I, it's, I don't know. See, to be honest, I never listen to, I try. Yeah, it's hard. Like if, if I'm out and, because I know most of everybody's called. I mean, if somebody gives a seminar, I love to listen to them because uh, sometimes they'll say something that clicks better with me. Uh, I love to listen to guys give seminars if I disagree with their technique too. Because uh, a lot of times I'll learn something from that guy. So but I, I like to teach people how to blow a duck hole. It's, uh, it's, especially if a guy works at it. Uh, yeah. It's very rewarding. Yeah. So I just try to relate to them the best thing I can to get them to do what I need them to do. Yeah. So, you do a good job of it. Yeah. Those are good videos. Thank you. But so, yeah, we're filming this year. Uh, it's going to be more instructional. It's going to go up on YouTube again. Uh, I've had a lot of people ask me to do TV, and I don't like it. Uh, I don't like the format and the structure and the rules. So if I want to do a five-minute episode on YouTube, I can. If I want to do a 25-minute episode, I can do whatever I want. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm, not, I'm not a big sponsor guy. Uh, if you see us, me specifically, push a product, it's because I either love the product, and the, the second part of that is I have to love the guy that's building the product. If, if they're a jerk, I don't want anything to do with it. I don't care how good it is. Uh, so... Uh, I'm not big on having to push things to have a show. It doesn't doesn't do me any good. So YouTube is my preferred format for for all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Because like I said, I don't have any interest in talking about a cooler for an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. Yeah, it's a great cooler, but it's, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> So that, that keeps that away from me when I do it that way. So we should have that up. It'll probably be next spring. So I'm going to film it. Yeah. And then I'm going to do a new, uh, I need to do a new calling instructional series on YouTube because that stuff's been up there forever now. Yeah. Uh, that was back when I had long hair. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I need to get that updated. So that's all stuff that's, that's coming down the pipe. Cool beans. Uh, if you guys have any questions, let's uh, go ahead and field a few questions from the chat. Just go ahead and drop them in there. How many? How many people are on there? Uh, um, I think we've been running around forty. Yep. It's pretty good. Which this time of year, you know, it's not too bad. Yeah, that's pretty good. So, uh, especially this, this is a good time of night for it, though. Yeah, it's picking up this time. You know, people are starting to get more interested, and so the numbers are picking up week to week a little bit. Right. But yeah, and like I said, these the podcasts are they're in demand right now. There's a lot of people that will tune into these. Yeah, we're really they're really just starting to pop up like crazy. Jordan uh, created this one, and right around the time that he created uh, this one, before I even before I jumped on, there wasn't hardly anything out there as far as waterfowl podcasts. And just in the last couple months, they've really been popping up. And I think it's kind of we're on the forefront of um, right. getting a lot more content. Someone asked, uh, uh, I do, I don't do any podcast. I do live videos a lot on Facebook. Uh, I run out of stuff to talk about, so I only get so many out of year. <laughs> so <laughs> someone asked, uh, how much your, your calls cost? I don't know if you want to share that or they, the, 
calls are between 80 and uh, they would go up to about 220 depending on how much customization you want. So, but a standard acrylic is 120. Standard wood runs between 80 and 100. Where's the best place to Where's the best place to purchase one of your calls? Uh, you can get them directly from me. Uh, you can message me, text message. You can send me a message on Facebook. You can send me a message on Instagram. Uh, and you can email us. Uh, Rogers also carries them in Liberty. They're going to be a little bit. They sell them for a little bit less than I do. Uh, and then uh, we have them in. Uh, I get these confused. The Lincoln Shield store, which is being built right now, and then we have them in the Kansas City Shield store. And then I got a couple little dealers spread out across the country. But can, can they be purchased right off your website as well? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, and that's yeah. just DucklanderCalls.com. DucklanderCalls.com. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and actually, we're very excited. In about a week or two, I'll have a new site up that will be mobile friendly. So, I got out of the dark ages, and we're going to have a big commerce site. So. Because my my site that I have up now is is that that was built by me, but it's just an HTML site. So we're pretty excited about that. Cool. I can actually share content off of it to uh, Facebook. So awesome. Uh, they can also go to Instagram or Facebook and buy calls. Uh, we sell probably half of what we sell anymore is off of one of the social media pages, just to buy messenger. It's crazy. You know, it is. <laughs> we don't even mess with retailers that much anymore. I mean, we don't turn them down, but uh it's crazy how many people interact on social media and here's another question um someone's asking or somewhere in wisconsin is asking uh is there a way to make your call more raspy without without adding your so-called voice to it uh yes okay so the rasp in a duck call is from pressure uh the your voice you should never put voice into a duck call there's no grunting a goose call, there is. A goose call, you're going to hum. But not grunt, you're going to hum. But on a duck call, a duck call is just good, clean air, and there's no humming whatsoever. So when I blow into a call, that's the sound. It's just clean air. There's no voice in that whatsoever. So the difference is, if you take air, and you blow from the top of your throat out of your mouth. That would be like blowing birthday candles out. Your call will sound flat and high-pitched. If you blow air from your lungs out and you bypass your throat, by that I mean your throat stays open just like it doesn't exist. And you blow, I always say blow from your gut. What I'm really saying is you have a diaphragm that sits underneath your lungs. When you fill your lungs up with air, you now have two sacks of air right here. This diaphragm pushes against your lungs to get what's in your lungs out. So just like when you cough, <coughs> you'll feel your stomach tighten up right there. That's your diaphragm pushing on your lungs. That's the air that you blow a duck call with. So the pressure and the amount of air coming out are two different things. One controls rasp and one controls volume. So your pressure... That is what makes the call deep. The amount of air coming out controls the volume. So when you blow a duck call, you should feel your stomach right here getting tighter and flexing with your notes. Now, the only thing that'll change that is if your throat is tight, you'll constrict your air and you'll go over the call because you're making fast, hard air, not 
full air. So if your call's high-pitched, you really need to learn how to get that air out. And a good way to do that is to cover your mouth with your hand and try to blow. You don't let any air out because you'll feel everything tense up right here and try to put that same feeling into the call when you're running it. Because then you'll then you'll 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 start getting a deeper tone and a deeper tone. Awesome. Uh, Zach Outdoors asked if you could explain the feeder call versus the ducks flying um sure. and trying to get the ducks off the water call again. Uh okay, so there's there's gonna be two types of feed. And one is just a larger version of the first. So you have a single cut feed. So that is one duck feeding. So it's good, 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 good. So that's one duck just feeding in there, doing a little spacing quack. So now if you want to sound like more ducks, we're going to do more of a refuge feed. And then we're going to add some ducks into that feed. So by adding a duck, I mean adding a quack because the duck almost never just feeds monotonously in the sound. So they're going to do a few licks of a feed and then quack a little. So. So then you can try to add a higher pitch duck and a lower pitch duck. And you can do the same thing with your feed. You can do a little bit more of a, a raspy feed and a little bit more of a higher pitch feed. So. The difference between that and the spacing call in the air is pressure. So we were talking earlier, if I do that same note, and that's ticka. So that, that is the only note your tongue lifts off the front. So that's ticka. So ticka, ticka, ticka. So that, that's, that's the only note that it, it jumps off the front of your tongue on. So if you do that same note without any pressure, you're going to have that ticka, ticka sound which is what you hear them do in the air. So if that's the feed you have is this. You need to do it harder. <laughs> so you need to take that and you need to and just do it until you until you get the call super squeaky. Uh, so grit your teeth together and as hard as you can. Can you do that with a double read? And you'll find the pressure in there that makes that feed sound full. So that would be the biggest difference between those two. Can you do that with a double read? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I have one sitting here. But yeah, well, I meant just if, if I had a, you know, if I was doing that with yeah. my double read. Yeah, it's the same exact thing. All right. And then one question for me. How do you keep from getting too much spit in your call? <laughs> um. Okay, so. <laughs> He's actually got an answer for this. Got a little flap of skin underneath it, right? Say so, that again. Say that again. Under your tongue, there's a little flap of skin that keeps it stuck to the bottom of your mouth. Yep. Right? So if you feel left and right of that, you're going to feel two bumps, and that's where your spit comes out of your mouth. That's where, <laughs> that's where your mouth makes spit. Better way to say it. So what most people do is when they're blowing a duck call, and they take a breath, is they raise their tongue up a little bit, and they take air over them, two spit glands. And the more air you suck over them, two spit glands, the more spit your mouth's going to make because it thinks you need it. So when you keep your tongue down and you're blowing a call, your mouth makes way less air. Hmm. Uh, now, you mean way less spit. Way, you way mean? Less spit. What's that? It your makes way less, less spit. makes less spit. Yeah, so your mouth makes less spit. 
Okay. Uh, so it's a good habit just to start with your mouth, with your, your tongue down on <laughs> everything. Yeah, because uh, you'll just make less spit. Um, now, the other trick to getting a call, like we have, I, I mill in two grooves on the tone boards, and they're not spit grooves. This has nothing to do with it. Uh, <laughs> spit grooves do nothing. Uh, all these are for is they let air get underneath the reed if it's stuck. So it's, it's just a way for air to get under there and lift that reed up. Um, the biggest thing you can do to, to help with the call sticking, the more you practice duck calling, the more air you get and the longer reed you can run, the more leverage you get to pick the, the, tone, the, the reed off the tone board to break it free. So that's why you can have one guy that you can take, give him the same call if it's a sticky call, and one guy will run a light reed in and just stick it to death. And another guy that has a lot of air will put a longer reed in, call never stick for him. Because that reed, because you're making leverage up in the front with a longer reed. So the more you practice, the more air you'll get, the more reed you can run, the less call problems you will have. Awesome. Well, you're going to uh, have to rewatch this episode. Yeah. <laughs> this episode is so <laughs> packed full of information. Oh my gosh. Yeah, Bobby, you're definitely and a wealth also, of knowledge. And uh, yeah. we're definitely yeah. going to have to have you on again. For sure. <laughs> I, f- I feel like we could have you on for any subject and you'd have, uh, you know, <laughs> anatomy. Now. The, the, longer, the longer read you run too is, is this thing oscillates. So it makes a certain frequency at a certain length. So the longer it gets, the, the more frequencies it will make. So there's more ducks in a call with a longer read than a shorter read. So that's another advantage of practicing a lot with the duck calls. You can run a stiffer call. And the same thing with the goose call. The stiffer you can run a goose call, the more the more geese are in it. Awesome. Do you ever do um, at your shop clinics like one on one training sessions? Uh, I one on one, yes. I, I just tell people call me, make sure I'm here because I do run errands. Uh, every once in a while, I slip out to play golf. Um, but yeah, uh, I used to do calling classes, but they got too big because uh, I don't have that big a. We're looking for a new house right now because I need to put a shop up something fierce because I have the whole bottom of my house taken up with this. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I got to where, and we live in a neighborhood, there was way too many people coming over on Tuesday and Thursday nights. So I had to shut the uh, the calling clinics down. Because uh, <laughs> I may, I ended up with 40 people or better over here. I would oh, love I'm to come over for a, get a half an hour of your time. There is something oh, wrong man, with my mean, calling and I need a half an hour of your time, man. Oh, just come over. <laughs> So like I said, just text me and say you're gonna be there. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna take you up on that because I I I know if I had a half an hour where you're just like okay, I I think it's something I'm doing wrong with the pressure. I just need to I need to go to move to the next level, and I'm having. Well, I'll say, uh, what helps most guys, and and I feel bad about this too because like I'll get guys will drive an hour or two, well, I, I ten minutes, and then go work on that for a couple of weeks, and then come back if you want or just send me a video. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you can sit down and you can work a long time with it, but you're going to just do the same repetitious thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, you can make it over for a half hour. That is plenty of time. Or I could even send yeah. you a video, maybe send you a video. Oh yeah. I do that a ton. Facebook is awesome for that. Yeah. You can do unlimited <laughs> on the, the messengers. I think I'm yeah. going to take you up on that because man, <laughs> that would be so helpful. I need to move to the next yeah. one. Oh no, I do it with people constantly. Cool. Uh, what cool. I tell them is I need a video from their waist to the top of their head. 
So don't put the phone straight up at the ceiling because it tell me anything. Yeah, you, you know you're gonna have about uh you're gonna have about 700 videos after this episode <laughs> sent to you. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, this is an Elliot only, an exclusive Elliot only. I get him all uh, my. But yeah, because I need to know what your hands doing, what your mouth, yeah. throat. This is all doing. It helps cool. me help help somebody quicker. So very cool, very but, cool. Awesome. So. Well, we uh we really appreciate having you on here, man. Uh, you're, like oh, I said, you you've been a wealth of knowledge, and um, I've learned a lot. I think our viewers have learned a lot, and more than anything, Elliot's learned a lot. So, for sure, <laughs> for sure, for sure. <laughs> so, uh, can you go ahead and let people know where they can find you on social and the website and all that kind of stuff? All right, on Facebook, if you type in DLC Handcut, that will pull up my uh, my Facebook page, my business page. If not, you can just use my name. We got. I have a page with just Bobby Hayes. Uh, uh, that should go to me. And Instagram, I should know this by heart. Let me, I think it's just that Ducklander calls. I think it is too. Because I yeah I, yeah, I it is, tagged in something. Ducklander calls all one word. Mm-hmm. So uh, one of my guys set that account up a long time ago, and I can't. We use it a lot, but I can't always remember. And then the website's just uh, DucklanderCalls.com. Awesome. I think you can do DLC calls.com too to redirect it to it. And then DLC 300 YouTube. I don't know if you mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah. That was from so long ago. I need to re tag it. Pretty easy to switch those. Yeah. I am not super modern on We use social media a lot. I do. We post heavy, but yeah, some of that stuff I'm not. Like I said, I just now am getting to. Uh, a big commerce template to uh, make a website, which is the easiest thing I've ever seen in my life. So, awesome. yeah. So All right. Anything else? Yeah. Anything else you want to add, Elliot? Before we go ahead and wrap this one up? No, I think this has been a great episode. Like, like Jordan said, would love to have you back on again. Oh, Alrighty, yeah, guys. We'll talk to Ryan too. Oh, that'd be great. We'd love to have him. Sweet yeah. deal. Thanks for everybody for uh, joining us. Once again, I'm Jordan from Duck Hunt Chronicles on YouTube. Elliot, my co-host alongside me, Freelance Duck Hunting on YouTube, and Bobby Hayes, and we'll see you guys next time. Thanks again, folks, for sticking with us through another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. Really appreciate each and every one of you. This podcast would be nothing without the awesome, awesome community we have behind it. If you guys could do us a huge favor and, you know, let your friends know about the podcast. That helps us out a ton. And we're really trying to grow this. Season's coming up, guys. We're getting pumped. Um, we got Till stuff coming up. Be sure to check us out on YouTube as well, where me and Elliot have all of our hunts from the season. So, anyways, guys, that's all we got for this week. And we'll see you guys next time. Let's go.